This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at trustmark.com slash mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. In the stock market, you can make a lot of money, but you can lose a lot of money, too. Money Talks will answer questions about day trading today and take your other personal finance questions. Contact us by email. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Nancy. Ryder, hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning. morning. Uh, Any financial news that uh, sticks out to you? Nancy, why don't we start with you? Well, Kevin, what we're really watching is the latest on the stimulus package. And um, the Republicans met yesterday. They're going to be meeting with the Democrats today. What we're hearing, and again, I want to caution everybody, this is just what we're hearing. And we won't know for certain until everything is signed, sealed, and delivered. But we're hearing that they're talking about another, uh, we call it a one-time stimulus payment. Well, maybe it's going to be a two-time stimulus payment. And that's back to the $1,200 per person and extra for children in the household. We think that's going to happen. They talked about reducing the income levels for that, but that would be difficult for them to do, so keep a watch on that one. Um, Also, we know that our enhanced unemployment benefits will end July 31st. At first, we heard Republicans were saying we're just going to let them expire. That's going to be the end of it. Now we're hearing some negotiation going on that maybe they may be paired back. The Democrats are asking that they be paired back based on the unemployment rate. So pay attention to the news, um, and we'll let you know here at Money Talks when everything is done. All right. Uh, Before we get to Ryder, just to follow up, is there any way to track how much of that uh, stimulus money was actually spent stimulating the economy versus people saving it? Well, we are tracking that, and we do know that a lot of those payments that people received were being used to pay down debt. Um, You know, it's a good thing to pay down your credit card debt, but when that is not being spent on new items, it doesn't stimulate the economy as much. So there was a limit to what it did. At the same time, we do know that that payment, as well as the enhanced unemployment benefits, really have held up this economy so far. And there's great concern about what we call this fiscal cliff that we're facing at the end of July and the first week of August when all of this support runs out. So it's very important that we see what happens in this next stimulus bill and we see some extension of those benefits. Well, I did my part. I ordered a pair of shoes uh, online yesterday. They're being delivered tomorrow. So uh, I tried to stimulate the economy in my own unique way. So, Way to go, Kevin. <laughs> we know we can trust you to do that. Ryder, what about you? Anything uh, sticks out in the financial news? 
Um, broadly, the some similar things to what Nancy was saying about stimulus. Um, it's the S and P 500 for the uh, well, I want not going to say first time this year for the first time since um, the the steep declines in in February and March has reached uh, back where it was at the beginning of the year. So if you had bought an S P 500 index fund and just held it. Uh, and hopefully just not looked at it for the last uh, six, uh, seven months, um, then you would be back to where you were when you started through a whole lot of, took, took a whole lot of pain to get there, but you'd be back. Um, and so it looks like today is a good day. Again, this is you know, largely on stimulus news, um, positive news about uh, the coronavirus coming out of Europe. Um, you know, just kind of a, a whole basket of, of decently positive news, no matter how sketchy it is, uh, kind of put together, and people are happy about that. All right. Our producer, Liz Gill, found an interesting uh, post from Mississippi State Senator Chad McMahon on his Facebook page, and I thought I'd like to get uh, some comments, reactions from both of you. Uh, Ryder, we'll start with you. The Facebook post says, business owners, if you refused to take cash, the debt is paid in full. Uh, if you're a business owner and refuse to take cash, you're breaking the law. He gave the example, if you purchase $44 of fuel and I try to pay with a $100 bill and re you refuse the payment of cash, the debt is paid in full. Again, Ryder, we'll start with you. What's, what's your reaction to that? So um, before anybody gets any ideas, because there are a lot of fun ideas that come off of this, um, this is wrong. <laughs> um, if you offer to give somebody cash and they don't take it, that does not count in any way, shape, or form as you giving them cash. That's not that's simply not how it works. I, I think one in interesting thing here, though, is you know, all of our money, uh, it has the words legal tender on it. And and we see that every day and we hear that every day and you know every now and then somebody says but pennies aren't legal tender and i mean okay that's fine whatever you want to say about that um but what does that mean and and it just means that so back before we had a a national system of currency uh banks simply issued their own bills so you know if you had an account at trustmark and you needed some some of your money to spend then trustmark would give you some trustmark bucks and you'd go spend them, and hopefully the merchant, you know, would take your Trustmark bucks, and then they'd go redeem it at Trustmark for gold or an account or whatever they needed. And so that's how trade happened. Um, and so that's how we get the term banknote. Uh, banks issued those notes. Uh, now uh, we have a Federal Reserve, which is a, a bank to the banks, and everything is called a Federal Reserve note. We have a uniform system of currency. We have one currency, and legal tender means that these bank, these Federal Reserve notes, these bank notes issued by the Fed, um, they are, you know, this is this is a valid thing to use to pay your debts. Um, however, you know, in a private transaction, you can kind of take whatever you want. Um, you know, if you want to exchange, go to the farmer's market and trade eggs for tomatoes or clamshells for trinkets, what, whatever you want to do, you know, that's, that's all fine and well. And you can also, you know, you can, you can use the letters of credit from your bank or whatever to buy various things. It doesn't have, you don't have to use cash um, you don't have to use dollars. Uh, so, so that's what, but legal tender means that it is a legal form of paying debts in this country. And notably, 
um, the legal tender of the United States is the only way that you can pay uh, the government. It's the only way you can pay your taxes, for instance. Um, and I will say for anybody who does want to post stuff about money, particularly Federal Reserve notes online, um, do be wary of taking pictures uh, of them and posting them online uh, like this uh, gentleman did. Uh, the, the Secret Service has uh, guidelines and restrictions on how you can post that, so I would consult those before you you go around counterfeiting money all willy-nilly. Uh, Nancy, any thoughts to add? Well, I have been seeing at several places where I go um, notices of businesses that are short on coins. And part of that, I think, is because people are a little more hesitant to use paper and coins um, because of this feeling that that's a, a dirtier way of transacting business, that it might be cleaner to use a card. And um, so we have been seeing some of that. And of course, we're also starting to see a lot of um, conspiracy theorists around this idea of people not taking cash. I just think this is what's happening right now. Plus, we've been talking for a long time about, you know, getting away from cash and how we're using more debit and credit cards. And even when I go to that farmer's market, most of those vendors um, have something that allows them to swipe my card and making it easier to transact business. But I just think, uh, you know, that's it's a little bit out there as far as what's happening with cash. Um, and I do think a vendor does have the right to say, hey, I don't have change for your $100 bill. Yeah, and, and to the point about coins, I mean, the coin shortage is kind of an issue that's cropping up, and I heard that was, um, that was they were discussing that on uh, the radio just earlier before we, we came on. Um, so everybody needs to do their part and get that jar of change that you know you have uh, somewhere uh, under your bed or in the kitchen and, uh, and, and, and take that, take that to your bank and trade that in, all right? <laughs> That's right. It was on uh, Mississippi Edition this morning, so if you want to go back and listen to that, you can uh, find an archive of their show as well as all of our local shows at mpbonline.org. If you have a question for our experts, or you can also send an email, send it to money at mpbonline.org. We'll continue our discussion about day trading after the break. Have more people been involved in day trading recently? We'll tell you that next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. 
You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. You're listening to Money Talks, our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org. It's one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspective, uh, New, New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff is the portfolio manager at New Perspectives. So according to Reuters, major U.S. brokerages that reported quarterly results this week cheered the self-directed day trading happening on their platforms as individuals with a bit of extra money and time on their hands during the coronavirus pandemic have been engaging more in markets. So that gives us a bit of an insight into the term. But, uh, Nancy, what exactly is day trading? term of day trading that means you are buying a stock in during the day and you're selling it during that same day at some point so you are trading off of the uh, volatility the ups and downs of the market that happens during the day I like to broaden that from just day trading to short-term trading, and I consider any short-term trading where you buy a stock and sell it in a short time. We usually think of short-term in tax terms as anything less than a year. Uh, Ryder, what, uh, are there some examples in popular culture of day trading? Yes. So this is something, and and to just kind of go back more broadly, folks often look at the stock market and they say, oh, you know, the stock market, it's like gambling. It's like a casino. And I always, always have to stop and counter that because when you go into a casino, you expect over time to lose money, uh, even though you may have some wins along the way. Uh, However, in the stock market, you expect over time for your money to grow, even though you may have some losses along the way. Um, But I do think a lot of folks, when they think about it being gambling, they're thinking about day trading. They're thinking about uh, people just speculating on a stock and saying, oh, I'm going to buy this stock because I think it's going up tomorrow, or this stock is so cheap, how could it not go up anymore? And a couple of examples that we've seen recently. We've seen people buy, um, for instance, uh, Hertz, uh, the the car rental company, went um, went bankrupt recently. And so its stock price had absolutely plummeted. And people thought, oh, well, it's gone down so far. Surely it'll come back. And even after they declared bankruptcy, uh, folks were buying and bidding up that stock, even though it was it was very much worthless. And it was about to get wiped out by a, by a court. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that sort of trading and that sort of just speculating on things without really, um, forming a good thesis about why truly it's going to go up is, is probably what people are looking at when they look at it as gambling, when they look at it as casino like, but can't that kind of, um, so in other words, if people, if a lot of people thought, Hey, Hertz is a great stock to buy now and everybody bought it, wouldn't that not drive the price of the stock up because it's now in more demand? It absolutely would. And and that's what happened, uh, in fact. You know, people were selling the stock because, you know, they saw it was heading towards bankruptcy, um, you know, so the stock was going to be worth—owning the company was going to be worthless through bankruptcy. Um, 
And it's not exactly always the case, but um, you know, people did buy a lot of the stock and that did bid up the price of the stock. Um, and actually that one was a particularly weird case. This was not the only bankrupt company that people recently bid up a lot. Um, and when I say bid up, I'm talking about them buying the stock and the, and the price rising for it. Um, but Hertz is one where they actually did try, the company tried uh, because they were going bankrupt, they were—they just thought, well, why don't we sell a little bit more stock because people are willing to buy it. Um, that plan did not ultimately work out, but that was just kind of a crazy, um, a crazy time uh, for uh, in in the investment world. And Kevin, um, we always tell people that the stock market is an auction. You know, you are buying and selling with other investors. And one caution is that every time you buy a stock convinced it's going up, you are buying it from somebody who's equally convinced it's going to go down. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but that's, uh, that's a good way to put that. Paul in Madison wants to uh, comment or question that. Go ahead, Paul. You're on okay. the air with us. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, you know, I think we, we all become victim from time to time of uh, what we see on social media. But I, I, I saw a particular post, I don't know, a few days ago, and I recognized I recognized the uh, the retail establishment where this particular sign was that said, and it, I don't believe it was store-wide, but it was certainly at that particular register um, declaring that they weren't going to be taking anything other than an electronic form of payment. And, and, and living here in the South, I'm also particularly aware of um, a certain amount of disenfranchisement that comes as a result um, of, of various ways of doing things, um, laws that are enacted on various things and not to get too far afield um the, the the cashless thing seems to me to be a bit of that disenfranchisement only because in a state that has a significant amount of poverty many folks don't have access to the um streams of revenue nor the the banking that that um a lot of us probably talking here on the radio Mm -hmm. used every day without thinking about it. And I, and I wonder if you'd be willing to comment on that. And I'll take my answer off the air. Good question. Oh, I absolutely. I, yeah. I think that's a wait. Are we both talking at the same time, Nancy? <laughs> um, we are. <laughs> Can I tell a story? Go ahead, Nancy. Um, you, yeah, go, hit it. Uh, a couple of years ago in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, there was a big argument about this because so many of the uh, establishments were taking only a card, electronic forms of payment. And they actually passed a law in Philadelphia that said, you can't do that. You must take cash. And it was for the very reason that Paul was talking about, that there are people who don't have debit cards or credit cards. There are people, a lot of people in Mississippi who we call unbanked. They live purely by cash. And so that's an issue. And I think for most businesses around here, they will take most anything, uh, but um, some are preferring the electronic uh, payment just because, again, there is this idea of actual dollars and coins changing hands, a lot of hands, and difficult to clean those, and some exposure because of the virus. Go ahead, Ryder. Well, I was I was just going to say a similar thing about the unbanked and underbanked folks in Mississippi. Um, you know, it, 
it's and it's not just that and, and i know it's easy to look out there and say oh but you know this bank offers free checking all you have to keep is a hundred dollars in the account not everyone can do that um not everyone has the time to go to a bank um you know not just not everyone ha knows uh what it means to have a bank account and understands um how you know how important that is in modern society um and uh, or has the access or you know for some one reason or another does not trust banks um and so i was i was looking up some kind of statistics and uh consumers use cash in 26 percent of transactions in 2019 um which is still quite a lot um and uh, obviously a lot of that smaller transactions most folks aren't buying you know cars <laughs> uh using physical cash um you know uh, but you know you anytime you go to the store you see folks paying in cash particularly you know stores where you're making a smaller transaction if you just walk into a gas station to buy coke when you're on a road trip then you're probably doing that in cash uh things like that so um it's it, it is an issue if if folks if uh businesses aren't taking uh, cash and you know the population they serve is still uh, struggling to to get electronic uh, bank access or you know credit cards etc. But um, you know it happens. And I would say most businesses that are attuned to their customers, if that's going to be a problem for their customers, they're not going to go that route. But yep. if most of their customers are able to pay with a card, they will encourage that. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, talking today about day trading, the idea of buying and selling uh, stocks on, on a short-term basis. Um, and, you know, Nancy Ryder gave the the uh, example of, of Hertz, a company that looked like it was going bankrupt, and people thought, well, okay, we'll, we'll do this. What I, – I, I don't – this is an odd concept to me. What are some of the other maybe – reasons why people do this like i've got a hunch or i've got a hot tip that stock x is about to explode that sort of thing well we <laughs> use the term and Ryder used it earlier speculation and we make a difference between being a speculative investor versus being an owner of a company and um, speculation is just another fancy word for gambling and if you are a gambler in the stock market, you're not really looking at that stock as, well, is this a good company to own? Are they selling good products? Are they making money? Um, do they have a reasonable amount of debt? Are they managed well? You don't care about any of that. All you're looking at are the changes in price during the day, one day to the next. And what has really fueled a lot of this back in March, we saw a lot of volatility in the stock market, a lot of movement back and forth because there was so much uncertainty. And I'm going to throw this to Ryder to really talk about the VIX. And the VIX has a role in all of this. Yes. So um, the VIX is the volatility index. So V-I-X. Um, very uh very straightforward there. But the volatility index essentially measures how volatile, uh, you know, traders, uh, market participants think the market is going to be over the next few months. Um, it's kind of a short-term volatility measure. There's various VIX indices. Um, but uh, so typically you, you expect to see volatility, you know, the kind of rule of thumb is you expect to see volatility of around 16%. 
Uh, and that means, you know, prices could go up or down by about 16% in a year. That's kind of, that's within the, the normal range. Um, and so VIX is at, you know, often at 16. We've talked about volatility a lot before uh, because we had the phenomenon, I believe it was last year. I don't even really remember how time works anymore, but uh, we had very low volatility for a very long time. And, uh, and it was always kind of, we kind of mentioned it on the radio whenever it went up very much. Um, but what happened when the uh, stock market started declining sharply uh, in February and March, uh, the volatility index climbed from, you know, from the range of about, you know, 12 to 15, which is the kind of low volatility, i.e. everybody thinks that the upcoming months are going to be calm, everything's smooth sailing, and it jumped up to 50, and then it jumped up to over 75. I think it peaked around 80-something. Um, uh, so very high volatility. Um, and, and that volatility is still heightened today. We've come down a lot, but we've still been in the 25 to 30 range. So people are still expecting, people are still looking forward in the stock market and thinking it's going to be more volatile. It's going to be more shaky. I am more uncertain about the direction or how much the stock market is going to move um, over the next few months than I have been uh historically. So that's where the VIX plays in. So when you see a high VIX, that means stocks are bouncing everywhere. Um, you know, there is, you know, presumably there's, you know, a lot of speculation going on or a lot of money to be made from speculation. But that's what people are looking at. We're going to continue our discussion on day trading in just a bit. What are some day trading apps? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's weekly show about personal finance. Kevin Farrell, along with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We're talking about uh, day trading today, and according to the website smartasset.com, the best day trading apps of 2019 include TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, Robinhood, and Acorns. There's an article that lists eight in total, each with their own special features. If you're interested, we'll have a link to that article on our website. So um, we often talk about diversity in a portfolio and investments and, and maybe that you would want sort of riskier investments with more stable ones. D do you think that day trading can be a part of someone's overall sort of investment philosophy? 
We don't no. encourage that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, we do have some clients who want to do a little bit of that play on the side. And what we try to do is limit that activity. So if you're going to do that or even buy some individual stocks, which you think you've got a hot tip, we usually say do that with 10% or less of your portfolio and limit your exposure there. And we just call it play money. Ryder, why, why would you recommend against that? The volatility issue? Um, yeah, so here's the thing. Day trading, um, buy, the, the general act of buying stocks for a short amount of time and selling them, it is a valid way to participate in the stock market. And there are market participants who do that very successfully. Um, and their budget for computers is vastly more than you can imagine. Um, you know, so folks who, you know, make markets, so, for instance, who keep the market flowing orderly, they are buying and selling stocks, you know, in, in seconds. Um, there are many hedge funds, there are many investment funds who focus on particular strategies of very short-term trading. Uh, they come to it with immense expertise, immense capital, and lots and lots of computers uh, to do a lot of the work for them. So you're up against some, some pretty ferocious uh, uh, market participants, some pretty ferocious competitors, and it's, and I think it's a bit of a fool's errand to think that you know, someone, you know, you sitting at your laptop or on your phone in your free time uh, can successfully, uh, you know, do this, do what they do. Um, so that's why I generally say it's a bad idea because. Uh, typically for retail, uh, for, for just the broad public trying that, uh, they, do not, um, they do not have success with, with day trading. And, and so that's why I strongly discourage it. Not only that, what we've seen is, is there's a lot of risk that folks just don't understand. Um, there was a recent article, and you mentioned Robinhood, Robinhood is an app which has allowed free stock trades. It's been around for a little while. Um, it allowed free stock trade and it kind of made participating in the stock market a game. Um, you could use it just to buy a stock and forget about it if you wanted, which is great. But it also encouraged folks to trade. It encouraged folks to keep participating on, on the app and, and trading and buying and selling. And particularly, it seems that with folks, you know, not. Um, not at work so much these days and with a lot going on in the market uh, it's encouraged a lot of day trading uh, a couple of just flaws that Robinhood had it's a, it's a young brokerage they don't Robinhood itself doesn't really understand how the market works. Um, they were accidentally allowing unlimited leverage in some cases they were displaying account values wrong. there was a case where, you know, a, a young man, he logged into his Robinhood and he saw an account balance of negative like $700,000. Mm. And that drove him, was a factor in driving him to kill himself. And so that's, you know, that's an extreme example, um, but it is not without risk. Uh, and, and a lot of folks, even if you think you have a strategy, uh, you know, if you're not 
that well-informed about the market, you, you may be taking on a lot more risks than you realize, particularly when, particularly when using leverage or kind of esoteric strategies with options and futures, um, which just get more and more easy to make or lose money. Uh, we've got a caller, but Nancy, just real quickly, how quickly can the price of a stock fluctuate, say, on a given day? Oh, very quickly. Remember, there's trading going on all during the day, and now we even have after-hours trading, so those things can happen. And the other thing that can happen, Kevin, is a stock can close in the day at, say, $10 a share, and then there can be news overnight that affects the opening price. So you can be left holding something where suddenly the bottom has dropped out before you can even place a trade. So you have to be very cautious about um, moving with the market movements. Uh, in addition to day trading, we've been talking a little bit about the cashless society, and I think we've got another caller that wants to stick on that topic. It's Jerry from Ashland. Good morning, Jerry. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate you guys. I support you every month, and I hope all your listeners do that. Uh, I don't understand I hope so why. Too. Well, I don't <laughs> understand you. why a vendor would hesitate to take cash when every single transaction that they take using plastic costs them three percent, unless somehow they were tracking or using that information or selling that information to track what you buy, where you're at, and what you're doing, and they can sell that for three uh, percent plus. That's one statement I have to say. And the second thing is, I don't agree with the uh, statement y'all made that every time you sell something because you think it's going down or because someone will buy it because they think it's going up. I just sold a whole bunch of my portfolio, even though I thought it was rising, and it is rising. I've made about 14% annually for the last 25 years because I needed cash for a cash opportunity, so I got rid of it, and since I've sold it, it's gone up, but I've also had the cash in hand. Uh, and the third thing is, yeah, people get into the market, it is buyer beware. You know, uh, the people need to inform themselves about everything before they go. Just simply go to uh, the Motley Fool or another website such as that, or Schwab, and educate yourself as to what you're doing, what you're getting into. Invest what you can afford to lose and use dollar cost averaging to increase your yields in the long run. That's what I've done. Mm -hmm. I've picked things pretty well, and I hope other people do it. That's all I have. I'll listen to your response off the air. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry, for the call. Um, Thanks, uh, Jerry. Any follow-up? Any, any thoughts? That was great. Uh, buyer beware in the market. No, that's absolutely true. Um, I mean, that goes to what we we're saying about you know just risks that you don't understand. Um, you know, and 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 on the short term, especially again when the market is very volatile like it has been, um, if you are only holding things for a short term, the risks you know there are just a lot more risks that come into play um, on that short time horizon. Um, as to you know, businesses you know making money off of the three percent transaction fee. Um, while, for instance, your card company and your so the way that financial information can be used in America is fairly highly regulated. Uh, so for the most part, your credit card company isn't necessarily uh, say packaging that up and selling it off outside of their ecosystem, um, and your bank. Um, is not doing that so much. What they may be, what they, what they, there are a couple of things. One, businesses often take cards because 
it's a way to get the revenue. Uh, you know, I don't travel. I don't walk around with cash that much. Uh, so a place that just isn't going to get my business if they don't take a card. Uh, so that's one reason they're willing to take that 3% fee. Um, two, uh, typically, a customer spend more on debit or credit cards uh, than they would in cash. Uh, so they're happy to increase their revenue by taking, uh, by taking cards. Um, there, that is a good point about uh, businesses being allowed or being able to track a consumer, um, particularly when I go to, uh, say, a restaurant or a coffee shop, a lot of them have now kind of a loyalty system, and it's set up strictly on your uh, strictly on your card. So you know, it notices this car, you know their card reader notice this card has come three times. Well, you know, the fourth time they offer me half off a coffee or something like that. Um, and so they are, you know, and they're using that to encourage me to come back. Um, it's not necessarily that nefarious, but they are, you are correct, they, they, they are using that to, to encourage you to spend more in their store. Um, but it is not uh, necessarily the same as um, packaging up that data and, and selling it off to, to a third uh, party. Um, but also, uh, taking cash uh, comes with risks and costs itself. Um, taking cash exposes uh, businesses to theft. Uh, taking cash means that you have to go to the bank and deposit that cash on a regular basis. And for commercial accounts, a lot of banks will charge money for depositing accounts for depositing cash. Um, it means you don't get the money in your account as quickly. Um, there's just a ton of convenience factors on the consumer side and the business side for taking card. Um, that being said, you know, we, we have discussed, you know, there are plenty of people who do do cash. There are plenty of people who do cash primarily, um, and, and, and keeping, keeping our economy accessible, keeping the markets and businesses accessible to those people is still important. Um, I'm going to jump in, too, and say I will stand corrected by Jerry. Yes, there are those investors who cash out or sell stock because they need the cash. They need to liquidate and do some things. But I would also say that for most market participants, they are always looking at what's the best and highest use of my money. And so if they feel like a stock will go up in price, they're going to hang in there. So generally speaking, that's what happens in the market. We'll continue on our discussion about day trading after the break. Is day trading gambling? We'll let you decide next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Thanks for listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Remember, every Tuesday at 10, immediately following Money Talks, you can listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Today's show is about gambling during the COVID-19 pandemic. The connection to today's topic... Well, we asked, is day trading just online gambling? You've heard what uh, Nancy and Ryder have to say. You can decide by uh, reviewing some of the articles that we've linked uh, on our show's website, and um, you can make your own decision. 
Uh, let's go back to the phones. Looks like we've got Fran in Perry County again. Fran, thanks for holding. Go ahead. You're on the air with us. Good morning, everybody. Um, about the cashless society, I live in a little rural community. Every time we have a bad storm, Internet goes down. Everything becomes cash. And it's sad for the merchants because that's, you know, most people don't come to the store with the cash. So I think that creates an issue. And then having lived in New Orleans during Katrina, we, we were on cash for months. So uh, there's that side to it, too. I, I do understand that's the exception to the rule, but that's another issue there. Thank you. All right, friend, thanks for your call. And uh, any thoughts, reactions to Fran's call? That's an excellent point. And uh, certainly here in Mississippi, we're subject to storms. Um, and when those systems go down where we can't transfer things electronically, we have to revert to cash. And I think there's a lesson in that, especially for us here when we get into hurricane season, that it is important to keep a certain amount of cash around in case that happens to you. And any place, small towns that don't have good internet coverage, then that becomes a problem. I've even had that problem at our local farmer's market in Jackson, that sometimes um, spotty coverage means they're having trouble getting those cards um, transmitted and handling all of that. So it always helps to have a little cash in your pocket. Uh, yeah, I had a situation once where we had a we were at a booth at a at a, at a trade show or something, uh, and we were trying to take uh, credit card information on a on a uh, little laptop, and, uh, and it, the connection was slow. And I felt bad because I've got the person's credit card in my hand, and I'm having to type it in and type it in, and it's not going through. It's not going through, and it's I'm sure a frustrating situation on both ends. But that uh, is a good point that if we lose connection to the internet, that uh, that certainly limits uh, some of that uh, cashless uh, things that we've been talking about. Uh, we've heard a, a writer use a term a couple of times. So, uh, Ryder, if you would, tell us what leverage means. Leverage uh, at its base is you, is, is think, think about it as borrowed money or um, you have control over more money than you actually have money. Uh, so, for instance, an easy example that most people kind of know and, and understand is when you buy a house – uh, you have to take out a loan, and so you have leverage. And so, on a traditional loan, we just talked about you know mortgages last week. Uh, you might you know for uh, say a hundred thousand dollar house, you might put twenty thousand down and you borrow eight thousand. So for every one dollar you put in, the bank puts in four dollars. So for every one dollar you put in, you you control five dollars worth of home. Um, and so that's a leverage ratio of one to five. And you can have higher or lower leverage just depending on how much equity you have built in. In the stock market, you can borrow money from your broker to invest in the stock market. Um, and, and, and brokers and the exchanges will set limits on that. But often you can, you know, say lever up you know, so one to two. So for every $1 in your account, you can buy $2 worth of stocks. And so what that does is it allows you to buy more stock and, you know, profit more when it goes up. So if you bought a stock, if you took a dollar and bought a stock and the stock doubled, you'd make a dollar. But if you took a dollar, borrowed another dollar and bought $2 worth of stock and it doubled, you would 
make $3 because that whole thing would go up to $4. You'd pay a dollar back to your broker and you'd make $3. And so that you can see it can magnify your gains. But of course, if you bought a stock without leverage and it went down by half, you'd lose half your money. But if you had leverage and the stock went down by half, you could lose all of your money. So it cuts both ways. And, and it's not just borrowing money that can create leverage, as we call it. Um, and this is why we don't just call it loans. Um, but using things like options or futures, which are financial tools which allow you to use a smaller amount of money to control a larger amount of stock, uh, those are ways that you can generate a leveraged situation, which again, can end up cutting both ways. You can profit a lot, but you can also generate a lot of loss. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, when we were talking earlier about Robinhood traders, you know, coming up with negative balances and not understanding that, um, that is a situation where, yes, you can end up technically owing maybe more money than you thought you had. Um, and part of that is, is, part of that is broker issues, but part of that is just understanding the risks of the strategy. And understand that a um, loan with a broker, when you enter into that type of an arrangement, that's what we call margin, trading on margin. Mm, yes. All right. Uh, maybe just about a minute or so left. Uh, Nancy, we spoke about volatility in the market earlier. A caller left a question, and that is the volatility of the stock market during an election year. Is it uh, more volatile when we're electing uh, our leaders? Well, that's a tough question. Um, mm. I think it depends on how uncertain the outcome is. And um, I will go back to when we had the election in 2016, and um, investors assumed that Hillary Clinton would win. And when the news came down that Donald Trump won, we saw an incredible drop in the stock market during the night. Now, it did recover and go the other way, but that was just because of uncertainty. So that's what causes the VIX or the volatility to increase is when we are not certain what's going to happen and people are just all over the place. So we don't know what's going to happen. We'll be watching the VIX and that gives us an idea collectively of what investors think will happen. But as we saw in 2016, investors are not always right. Ryder, about 30 seconds if you want to chime in with a little bit on that topic. Uh, so I was looking at a similar example, um, but again, because the volatility represents investor uncertainty, then Nancy is absolutely right. It's it's really un the uncertainty of the outcomes, uncertainty of the economic situation, uncertainty of the business climate um, in the future is what drives volatility. Um, and and I was remembering back to 2016, we actually had pretty low volatility during the year. And then the volatility started spiking as we got closer to the election. Um, you know, that ended up being a pretty, uh, lots of lots of last minute news outbreaks, lots of last minute uh, folks trying to slander the other side. And, and so that, that, that generated a lot of volatility in the market close to the election. All right, that is going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by the generous financial support from our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to Money Talks MoneyTalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast. Search for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill and our call screener was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. 
Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at Trustmark.com mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 